Bible, I would invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, page 813 in our church Bibles, if that would be of some help to you. And in just a moment, I'm going to read verses 4 to 7, verse 11 and 12 and 13. Just while you're turning there, a couple of things, as always, if you have a question about Jesus or what was said or saying this morning, then please make sure you get with me after church. I'd be happy to try to answer that question for you. And just one uh, general thank you for all that happened uh, yesterday at the ministry summit. It was terrific. It was super encouraging. It was informative. The people that served in all the capacities, they did an excellent job. And so I thank God for them. And I just want to um, just say on behalf of everybody, thank you for such a great thing. Okay, let's hear the word of the Lord. Chapter 12, verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Verse 11, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Verse 12, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with, Je- with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Amen. May God grant to us the understanding of his word this morning. Let's, let's bow together and let's pray. Father, we, we give glory to your name. Thank you for letting us sing that last song that makes us long for heaven and makes us long to be there as we sang in your presence and all the old stuff put away and the new stuff to be enjoyed correctly forever. And so now, Father, with the word of the Lord open before us, we turn to you, the Lord of the word, and we ask earnestly and humbly that you would give us the help that we need, that your words might be illumined to us, that our hearts would be softened by its truth and our minds brought into line and and moved into action in light of its truth. And Father, the usefulness and the good that would come out of a moment like this rests completely with you. So some water and some plant, but both are nothing because only you, God, can make things grow. So we do look to you now, Father, and only you for everything. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Well, as you can see, we're going to continue in our studies of 1 Corinthians 12, trying to understand the the nature of true spirituality and the use of spiritual gifts. We're purposely hesitating before we jump into the gifts because most of the time um, there's so much confusion and uh, um, uncertainty about those gifts. So this morning we're going to work under the subtitle, Spiritual Gifts, and you can see this at the back of your worship folder, From Where and For What? Where do they come from and for what are they uh, used for? But before we get to this, I think it would serve us well, and I I was encouraged by the first service to that same end that we should do this, that we need to work through a bit of what we talked to or through last time. 
because it would appear that many in the Corinthian church regarded themselves as spiritual and they were not. And it would also appear from the way Paul was written here is that the way they determined their spirituality was focused on the exercise of only some spiritual gifts. And we know that because the list of gifts that Paul gives us here is not an exhaustive list. Romans 12, 6 through 8, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, 1 Peter 4, 11, each have other lists of other spiritual gifts. So clearly, some were trying in that church to put forward the notion that these particular gifts, uh, tongues and healing and prophecy and words of knowledge and discernment and all those things, those gifts which were active in that context, and they were also active in the pagan realm, counterfeit gifts by by a counterfeit spirit. Nevertheless, the exercise of those certain spiritual gifts was the clear evidence, the key evidence of God at work through them. So again, tongues and prophecy and healing and words of knowledge and so on. In that context, they said when those things are active, then God must be at work. However, we learn that God said through Paul's pen that spiritual experiences are not the key evidence of God at work in one's life. They may be part of the evidence, but they may be something all altogether different. Verse 2, we learn that in verse 2, other spirits. And so the Corinthian Christians in their pre-Christian day had plenty of spiritual experiences, but those experiences led them astray. So again, I want to say to you, spiritual experience is not the test of God's spirit at work, nor is it the test of spiritual maturity. But the key evidence of God at work's work in a person's life is simply verse 3. Do you see it there? The lordship of Jesus Christ over, lot, over that life. That's the key evidence. That's true spirituality. So we remind ourselves that Paul the apostle and the other apostles, they did not die declaring some spiritual experience that they had. But they did die declaring and holding to the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. So again, the true test of the Spirit's work comes down to simply taking Jesus at his word and obeying Jesus in our lives. Consequently, Paul is making it clear that spirituality is not in the realm then of the phenomenal, right? That's too much there, that time, and, and frankly, our time. Spirituality is not in the realm of the phenomenal, but in the realm of the ethical, the, the practical, the, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Indeed, at the very end of 1 Corinthians 6, Paul writes, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So, speak in tongues. No. You were not your own. You were bought with a price. So, prophesy. Heal people. Have visions and then market those visions. No. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So, glorify God in your body. So, you want to be spiritual, Paul says. You want to make much of Jesus to your friends and neighbors and to the watching world. You want to help your brothers and sisters in Christ's church. You want to help the world. Then the key evidence of your spirituality will not be in the realm of the phenomenal. It will not be in the realm of the extraordinary, but in the ethical, in the practical, the day-to-day life, including Sundays. Because how we frame our Sundays will say a whole lot about us. So it's not the phenomenal, it's the extraordinary. And we display the forever truth then that Jesus is Lord. So in the word of John Owen, a Puritan, 
from a previous generation, there can be gifts in our lives without graces, performances which benefit others, but a stranger to ourselves. J.I. Packer, the manifestation of the Spirit in charismatic performance is not the same thing as the fruit of the Spirit in Christ-like character. In other words, external expressions in the realm of the phenomenal guarantee no one that they belong to Jesus Christ. Okay, External expressions in the realm of the phenomenal guarantees no one that they belong to Jesus Christ. So, so we cannot uh, self-authenticate our spirituality or our standing with God by embracing phenomenal spiritual experience. You cannot do that. I think it was last fall when there were people running around town talking about the, the four blood moons, whatever that was. And there was some sign from God and the moons and the sign and the calendar year and then some wonderful things were going to happen. And you just want to say, you know, get a Bible. It's not in the realm of the phenomenal. It's in the day-to-day. Remember Jesus' words. They're worth repeating. We said them last week. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many, Jesus said, not a few, many, will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not? And here we go. Didn't we prophesy in your name? And didn't we drive out demons in your name? And didn't we perform many miracles? The phenomenal, right? The kind of uh, thing a person might say, wow, that guy, that girl, they must be spiritual when those things are happening. Not so, not so, says Jesus. Because he says, I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Or Luke chapter 10, verse 20. Remember, the disciples were sent on a missions trip and they were on their own. First time without Jesus. Jesus sent them with his authority and demons were flying out of people all over the place and people were being greatly helped and they came back and they were all hyped up. And what did Jesus say to them? Don't rejoice, guys, that the spirits submit to you, but you rejoice that you're a Christian. You rejoice that your name is written in heaven. So you see, we have to keep this basic fundamental reality in the forefront of our minds. Spiritual gifts are of no value on account of their dramatic impact. They are for the church. They are acts of serving and honoring Jesus Christ in the church. They're practical and ethical. They don't have to be phenomenal. Spiritual gifts are not novelties to be marketed, right? That was then, and that, frankly, is now a traveling road show. So the person goes from church to church, and they use their phenomenal gifts to be seen and sold and experienced. Right? Isn't that the way it works? So this guy with that phenomenal spiritual gift, let's get him, and I, I hope we never say this word in our church, let's get him booked in. Well, what is that? Well, who do we book in? This is not a talent show. This is not a variety show. This is a worship service. So spiritual gifts are Christ. They belong to Jesus Christ, the head of the church. They're working amongst his people, and they display his preeminence. In a phrase... Uh, the gifts are to draw people to the preeminence of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Let every creature rise and bring uh, the highest honor to our king. That's spirituality. Subsequently, and listen carefully, whenever a man or a woman or a young person, whenever they acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ, there you have spirituality. There you have spiritual maturity. When that person can say no to what is wrong, and yes to what is right, spirituality. 
That is being spirit-filled. That is spiritual maturity. Loved ones, the work of the Spirit in our lives then is to glorify Jesus, to make Him known, to bear witness to Him, to, to throw the floodlights on Jesus Christ, on His magnificence, on His truth, on His beauty, and His absolute necessity. I came across a quote from John Stott who was actually quoting J.I. Packer. See, I'm not the only one who quotes J.I. Packer. Even John Stott does. This is from a sermon in 1989. The Holy Spirit makes a career out of glorifying Jesus Christ. I mean, isn't that great? The Holy Spirit makes a career out of glorifying Jesus Christ. He focuses attention not on himself but on the Savior, fulfilling a floodlight ministry on Jesus. He goes on. When floodlighting is well done, the floodlights are so placed that you do not see them. What you're meant to see is just the building on which the floodlights are trained. The intended effect is to make it visible when otherwise it would not be seen for the darkness and to maximize its dignity by throwing all its details into view so that you can see it properly. This perfectly illustrates the Spirit's new covenant role. He is, so to speak, the hidden floodlight shining on the Savior. Think of it this way. It is as if the Spirit stands behind us, throwing light over our shoulder onto Jesus as we exercise His gifts. The Spirit's message is never, look at me, listen to me, come to me, get to know me, but always look at Him and see His glory. Listen to Him and hear His word. Go to Him and have life. Get to know Him and taste His gift of joy and peace. The Holy Spirit is then Christ-centered and self-effacing, right? Christ-centered and self-effacing. So we must never separate the second person of the Trinity from the third person of the Trinity. Because whenever the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is separated from the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, when that happens, then the honor of Christ and the work of Christ And the person of Christ is not known in all its fullness. And true Christian unity then is found only in verse 3. Do you see it there? The Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because we can't say Jesus is Lord by our lives and by our lips. We can't do that without the work of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, whenever the preeminence of Jesus Christ, whenever His preeminence is, is tended to be knocked down or thrown off. Whenever we do not take Jesus at His word, attempting to reduce His preeminence, you may know for certain that the Holy Spirit is being quenched. Now, what are we used to hearing? When the Holy Spirit's being quenched when we're not doing the phenomenal and the dramatic and the goosebump stuff. No, 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 says the Bible. The Holy Spirit is being quenched when the preeminence of Jesus Christ is not being known and seen in the life of the believer and in the life of the church. And when the church of Jesus Christ, the local church, because that's the context here, when the local church understands this, when they understand the nature of spirituality and spiritual gifts, they are on the very knife's edge of God at work in that church. They're on the knife edge of God's work in that church. And it may be a work of God's providence, which we find ourselves in these verses, at this place in our history, ready to see what will genuinely happen when we take these words to heart and stick them into our life. 
In other words, I don't think it's an accident that we're here in these verses. I think it's a mercy, and I think it's God. We, we have to know this. We, we can't have a congregation where only a small amount of people are, are doing a large amount of work. We can't do that. It can't just be the young people, and it can't just be the older people. It has to be all God's people. It has to be. Howard Hendricks, a long time ago, comparing the church to a professional football game where he says, you have 22 men on the field badly in need of rest and 70,000 people on the stands badly in need of exercise. That can't be the church. That can't be the church. Okay, spiritual gifts. Number one, well, who gives them? Well, the first thing I want you to notice is, is that the gifts are Trinitarian. They come from the Father, and they come from the Son, and they come from the Holy Spirit. Look at your Bible, verse 4. There are different kinds of gift, but the same Spirit. Verse 5, different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Who is Lord? Jesus. Verse 6, different kinds of working, but the same God. God the Father. So Paul is making it very clear that we have the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, working in harmony to equip Christ's church in order that 1 Peter 4.11, God might be praised through Jesus Christ. Now, is there a lesson? There is absolutely a lesson, and this is the lesson. The Father and the Son and the Spirit, equal in authority, equal in power, equal in glory, are revealing their oneness, each of them, as it were, were stepping forward and stepping backward at different points of the redemption story, at different points of the great gospel history, letting one have in the preeminence so that the work can be accomplished. Think of it this way. The Son, John chapter 12, verse 49. People are going to Jesus. Man, Jesus, there is nobody who teaches like you. There is no one with authority like you. You are really spectacular. And this is what Jesus says. I don't speak on my own authority. The Father sent me, has commanded me what to say and how to say it. In other words, what was Jesus' respond to that? He was saying, it's all God. It's all God. He tells me what to say. And you know what? God's such a control freak in the best way. He even tells me how to say it. That's Jesus, John 12, 49. The Father, Matthew 3, 17. Jesus is being baptized. And the Father says this, this is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. It's incredible, right? God doesn't say, listen to him because he's speaking for me. He just says, listen to him. All eyes on the sun now. Then the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. What do spirit-filled people say? Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. In other words, the Spirit is saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Look at Jesus. So you have harmony, you have humility in the Trinity in order that the purposes of God could be made known. What a model for the church today. What a model for the church today. Because typically when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit, oftentimes many churches will try to untie the work of the gospel and the person of Christ and just be hooked on a feeling or hooked on a vision or hooked on an utterance or having some supernatural, super evangelical superstar that can make people really feel it. That has nothing to do with the gospel. Has nothing to do with, in our place, condemned Christ stood. Nothing then to do with the preeminence of Jesus Christ. So as you think about those things, two of the scriptures which I gave you a moment ago, which listed the other spiritual gifts, 
If you read Romans 12, you'll discover that the gifts come from the Father. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 11, which is why we read it, those works of the one come from the one and same Spirit. In Ephesians 4.11, listen carefully. The gifts of the Spirit are from the risen and ascended Christ. Meaning, if there was never an incarnation, if there was never a crucifixion, if there was never a resurrection, and there was never an ascension, we would never have any spiritual gifts. Tying the gospel and the, and the great gospel hero, Jesus Christ, to all spiritual gifts. Tying the grace of God in the work of Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit to, to spiritual gifts. Okay, so spiritual gifts. Who gives them? God the Father, through the work of the Son, by the Holy Spirit. James puts it perfectly, not only in terms of material gifts, but in spiritual gifts. John 1, or James 1.17, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Number one, who gives them? God gives them. Secondly, who gets them? Okay, who gets these spiritual gifts? Well, again, we might be tempted to think that the gifts are reserved for only, you know, the crack group of outstanding Christians. Because after all, that's the way the world typically works, right? The esteemed, the assertive, uh, uh, the bright and the bold and the beautiful. They're set apart. They have award shows, right? And they give them all the gifts because they're so fantastic at what they do. Well, that's fine. I mean, I understand that. But sometimes the church takes its cues from the world. And we might think, okay, so God looks for a few of the serious people, the outstanding individuals. And when they hit the mark, then they get the gift. Or it might be for those who are super serious and they're on the lookout to receive the gifts and they put themselves in a holy huddle and they go, oh, okay, give me those gifts, give me those gifts. What does the Bible say? Sorry about that. <laughs> the Bible says not so, not so. Look at your Bible, verse 6b. Different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. In all men. Anthropos is the Greek word. It's a generic word for humanity. Not some. Not, not the special, not a few, but every person who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord is given gifts. You find the same thing in verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of that spiritual gift is given from the common good. Verse 11, he, God, gives them gifts to each one just as he determines. Verse 13, we're all given the one spirit to drink. So we need to be very clear again on this basic Christian truth. Every Christian has spiritual gifts, different kinds of gifts to be sure, but every Christian nonetheless has those gifts. They're not for the privileged few. They're not for the super serious. They are a gift from God for all in the family of God. So think of it this way. When you and I, as parents, when we give gifts to our children at Christmas, we give them to all our children, don't we? I hope we do. And while we probably won't give them all the same gift because they're different in ages and they're different in stages of their life, everybody's going to get a gift. Because if we care for them and we love them correctly, we will, we will deprive none and give to all our children. It's the exact same way with God the Father. He doesn't look upon us in the way we're tempted to look at others and say, okay, because you've been good, then you're going to get this gift. Or because you've been really good, you're going to get this gift. Or because you've been bad, then you're going to get nothing at all. That's not grace, and that's not God. 
But God gives to all his true people these gifts. Different, yes, but they come with the same amount of love and they come from the same giver. And just as a brief aside, because we're so tempted to think this way, uh, be practical here. Instead of thinking about what gift that you haven't received or being jealous of gifts others have or wanting to try and take our gift and exchange it for another, just, just take what you've been given. Father knows best, right? Father gives best. Begin to understand your gift and then use your gift. Spiritual gifts. Who gives them? God. Who gets them? All of God's true children. Okay, number three then. Why are they given? Well, the answer to that is in two places in the Bible. One is 1 Peter 4.10, which says this. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Straightforward, isn't it? You've been given a gift by way of God's grace. You use that gift to serve others. And then look at your Bible, verse 7 of chapter 12. Paul writes, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Common good. Now that phrase, common good, is one Greek word, sunphuron, meaning coming together to confer a benefit on the whole, or for the advantage of the whole, or to be profitable and useful for the whole, or in other words, everyone. So the gifts are not given for selfish reasons. They are not given only for self-edification. I mean, from time to time you'll hear pastors say, well, I really like to preach. I really like how I feel when I preach. Okay, fine. Thank you for telling us that. That's not why the gift was given. I mean, it's okay. We understand that. But it's not only for your self-edification. The gifts are given for communal edification. So, as you think about this, you get this sense that in Corinth, when these gifts were exercised, they were always used for self-promotion. I mean, I suspect the, the church service, services in Corinth were like a talent show. You know, he's got a word of tongue, and he's got prophecy. Oh, yeah, and a kind of one-upmanship. Paul tells them, no, no, listen, the gifts are given in order that we can contribute to something beyond ourselves in a way that would benefit others, and in a way that would be to their advantage. In other words, when we exercise the gifts, we would be missed if we were absent. Now think through that. When we exercise our gifts, we would be missed if we were absent. Because God has given us these gifts in a distinctive way. Now hold on to that. At a distinctive point in time, to be distinctly useful and a distinctive group of people to fulfill a distinctive purpose. Now, loved ones, that is how distinctive and unique and special your gift is. Again, he's given us these gifts in a distinctive way, in a distinctive point in time, to be distinctly useful in a distinctive group of people to fulfill a distinctive purpose. Now, as you think about that, it's the children's song, right? There's a work for Jesus none but you can do. Now, do you believe that? There's a work for Jesus that no one in this building right now can do but you. So how many of us are sitting around waiting to be ministered to when the ban of the Scripture is to minister? So it's not so much about ministry to us, but more so ministry to us through us. 
And loved ones, Jesus was tracking on along those lines when he, was, when he was asked the question. Remember this? Okay, Jesus, who's the greatest from heaven's perspective? The master or the servant? Okay, we know worldly perspective of the master, of course. We get it. Okay, but from heaven's perspective, where it really matters, well, the servant is. And then Jesus says, I have come to you as one who serves. And then later on in John's gospel, we learn that Jesus is filled with the Spirit. Okay, what do Spirit-filled people do? Well, one of the things they do is they serve. They serve in Christ's name with Christ's gifts. So the gifts then are not given for selfish reasons, but for their common good. And then when you think about it in relation to the word manifestation, verse 7, the word means come to light, to make clear. So it becomes obvious that our gifts are used not privately, but publicly for the common good. So there is no gift that has been given God, by God's Spirit to the Christian which has an impact or value only for our personal good. That is absolute foolishness. And if we think that we have one, we better read our Bibles common good, not personal good. And as you think about that, then it becomes, frankly, really hard for me to think of a Christian not being tied to and not being active in a local church. I'm going to say that again. It becomes hard for me not to see, then, a Christian not being tied to and active in a local church. Not, not a parachurch, but they have their thing, and we understand that, and we thank God for that, but there's presidents and vice presidents and employees there. But in the church, you have Christ as the head and elders as your leaders and you have servants and members of God's family. Which is why Paul said what he said, chapter 14, verse 12 of 1 Corinthians. Since you're eager to have spiritual gifts, great, try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. And remember, again, he's speaking to a local context. So when we exercise our gifts, not only do we minister to others, but in turn, we encourage others to be involved in the ministry which we are using to build up the church of Jesus Christ. And frankly, that's what I'm doing right now, right? I'm exercising a spiritual gift of preaching, uh, encouraging, or exhorting, right? It's Ephesians 4. God has given me the gift to preach the scriptures with clarity. Well, well right? Well, reasonable clarity. And he's given me that gift to tell it to you. The result of which is that the Spirit of God moves. We ought to be saying, yes, Jesus, I am tracking with you. I will exercise my gift for the common good to be part of God's church-building project. Because Jesus is Lord. And I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. Or if you have the gift of encouragement and you exercise your gift and you drop a note or a card and you give, you give that gift to someone else. And they take it and they are embraced by it and they're like loving it and they say, you know what? I'm going to take what they did to me and I'm going to pass it along to someone else. And so you write your own note of encouragement to someone else. And all of a sudden it's like junior high where people are passing notes all over the place. And they're nice notes, not hard notes. They're beautiful notes. They're not those anonymous notes. They're good notes. And that is spirituality. Opening doors. Counting heads. Wiping bottoms, pouring coffee. You ready? Spirit-filled work. And don't you think that the Corinthian church need to know that? Because I know they'd be like, well, any yo-yo can open a door. That's easy stuff. Uh, anybody can count people. Anybody can wipe a bottom and, and wipe noses. Anybody can pour coffee. We want the phenomenal. We want the extraordinary. We want people to take notice of our spirituality. We want them to feel goosebumps. 
See, that's not God. When we fail to exercise our gift, not only does it affect ourselves, but it affects the wider body of Christ, and it certainly affects the outside community. And when I referred to Ephesians 4 a moment ago, there's this wonderful verse, verse 16, that says this. From Jesus, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You hear that? How does the church of Jesus Christ grow? Well, it's the preaching. As each part does its work. Not as only a few people do everything or a few parts do everything, but as each part does its work. So I want you to listen very, very carefully. In a very real sense, the future of this church is tied up in this phrase, as each part does its work. Our future effectiveness, our development, our growth, our impact as the people of God in this place at this time is grounded in that notion, Ephesians 4.16, as each part does its work. That's why this is so important and frankly, that's why this is so timely. So, you know, a Sunday will always be a Sunday here at West Cohasset Chapel. I mean, Sunday's always going to be the Lord's Day. We're, we're, we're always going to be committed to praying and preaching and singing and receiving communion and studying together and drinking gallons of coffee together. We're always going to be doing that, right? We're going to do it with a mind that says we want to get better of all those things. We want fresh Acts of God on us Sunday by Sunday. But by and large, Sunday is going to be a Sunday. But as you think about it, the church is not just about Sunday. It's just not about the Lord's Day. It's about every day. So we've got other days of the week, and we have lots of people who have lots of time, and they go lots of places, and to whom much is given, much is required. And you ask yourself, why are the gifts given? Well, they're given for the common good, but they're also given to see the body grow. So do you have the gift of evangelism? What are you doing with that gift? Has God given you the gift of compassion? What are you doing with it? And who knows you have it beyond Jesus and yourself? Every Christian has gifts. Ask yourself this morning, in all sincerity, what are you doing with those gifts? So I have a prayer that I just started praying this week. Basically, I'm asking God that none of us will leave here as we work through this study on spiritual gifts Sunday by Sunday until we settle in our minds between ourselves and Christ. We settle in our minds what is our place and what is our part and what is our contribution to this body for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's biblical. It's practical. It makes all the sense in the world. Final point. Spiritual gifts, who gives them? God the Father, Son, and Spirit. Who gets them? All true Christians. Why are they given? They're given to serve others for the common good so that as each part does its work, the body of Jesus Christ is built up. Final question then. What are these gifts? Well, we'll have to save the list there for next time, Lord willing. But this morning, we just need to know this. These gifts are diverse. Do you see that phrase in verses 4 and 5 and 6? Different kinds, different kinds, different kinds, right? Diversity. A diversity of the charismata, the, the gift of grace, these gifts. They're free gifts. This is not the same as natural talent. We may have natural talents, 
And God may choose to baptize those natural, natural talents into usefulness, but this is not that. This gift, then, is given in a diverse way for a unique purpose, different kinds of gifts. Think of it this way. If everyone in the orchestra played the trumpet, the sound would be tremendous, but it would be rather dull after a while. But God is a God of variety and diversity. In the same way, then, God has given different kinds of gifts. Different kinds of gifts... Verse 5, then, different kinds of service. So we might have the same gift, but God may choose to use them differently. Let me think of it this way, the gift of teaching. Some of us may only teach girls. Some of us may only teach boys. Some of us may only teach wee little children. Some of us may only teach small groups, and a few of us may teach congregations. Different kinds of service. So Paul says there are different gifts There's diversity there. You can't tie the Holy Spirit down. There's diversity. And there is diversity in a way that the gifts are used for different kinds of service. Then the final phrase there is helpful as well because there are not only different kinds of service, but verse 6, different kinds of workings as well. And the idea is energy uh, with results. Uh, Efficacious would be the idea. Which means, and listen carefully, because not only does the Corinthian church need to know this, I think the American church needs to know this. There's a way in which God chooses to work through the gifts that he uses, and the results are God's. So it's only the Spirit of God which produces the result. Change lives, only God can do that. Transform relationships, only God can do that. Increasing congregations, only God can do that. Effective service are all God. God is sovereign in these things. A self-made Christian is a contradiction. A self-made Christian is a contradiction. Think, think, think. The conversion which opened the door for the gift is a grace. The giving of the gift is a grace. The exercise of the gift, a grace. The results achieved, which we long for and we pray for, but still, it's a grace. So what we dare not do is elevate the user of the gift who's achieving success above the giver of the gift, who is the strength of their success. You see, that's why the local church is so important. That's probably why the local church in America is having such a struggle, right? In the local church, you have only one superstar. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. The rest of us in Christ are stars, but we're not superstars. The Spirit gives these gifts in all their diversity and all their variety for one exclusive reason, to build the body as the body makes much of Jesus Christ. Therefore, in a church, when those gifts are being exercised, the all-consuming passion is how to get the good news of Jesus into the minds and hearts of those who've never heard Jesus or never heard Jesus correctly. And again, as we exercise our gifts for the common good, serving others, serving the world, as God determines to to give the results. Listen carefully, and then I'll be through here. You see, this is why Paul said what he said in 1 Corinthians 2. He said to the Christians there, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Okay, got that, Paul. So, so what were you like, Paul? Ready? I was weak, I was afraid, and I had the shakes. 
And I spoke not with wise and persuasive words, but I spoke with the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on man's cleverness, but on God's power. And you see, that's spirituality. That's the way it is. Not puffed up chest, not the phenomenal, but the practical. I only preach Christ. I was so weak when I was there so that all the glory and all the good would be seen in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Even as I say that now, I look at my little note here. John 12, 21. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. That's the way. That's the way. That's spirituality. That's spiritual maturity. Thank you for your attention. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we thank you that when you speak to us through your living word, not only does it correct us and encourages us, but it directs us in the way that we should go. So, Father, as the weeks and months go by in the course of this year, 2016, may we be given the grace to actively serve you using all the gifts joyfully and sincerely with Christ's power. And may we see you do what's best for West Cohasset as you build your church and bring glory to your name and to your son. Have mercy on us, God, in the coming days and weeks as we unfold and try to understand these gifts and how to use them in a proper way. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.